It's going to be a bit of a different sermon this morning because um, it's going to serve as an introduction to the book rather than expositing a single part, paragraph of this text. Uh, We'll look at the book broadly. And what I'd like to spend some time doing today is reading the entire letter. But uh, we'll save that for a little bit. First of all, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your graciousness to us. Lord, just to be able to sing a moment ago, You stand with me. You stand with us for all of our days. And we stand in grace. So, Father, we come to You with the the full assurance and expectation that You are for us and You are ready. You are willing You want to answer our prayers. So we ask You, Father, for Your Holy Spirit that we may receive Your Word with open and humble hearts, ready, Father, to believe and to obey all that You have to say to us. Father, we we ask that Your your work and Your Gospel, Your Word would have the impact, the, the transformational effect that only Your Word can have. We can make small changes in our lives and maybe produce a a moral reformation, Father, for ourselves and our own efforts, but it would not amount to anything. It would be of no eternal value to change, to be according to Your will, to bring glory to You, Father. It must be Your work, and we ask that You would do it. And we know that what you have begun, you will bring to completion. So that's what we're asking for. Continue it in us today. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Paul is uh, writing this letter to a church that he had not yet met face to face. A church that was located in a kind of out of the way place. It was, well, it was on a major trade route that, and it was a city that had been of some significance about two centuries before the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. But at this time, it has become a minor city in Asia Minor. And, um, when Paul was in the city of Ephesus for about three years, ministering the gospel to uh, a great host of people, from all walks of life, the Bible says that the gospel spread all over Asia, that all heard because of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And it's very likely that one of those who heard and was converted by the gospel of Jesus was a man by the name of Epaphras. And he went from Ephesus to Colossae and to other cities in Asia Minor and planted churches. Well, a few years down the road, Paul is in prison in the city of Rome. And he is actually under house arrest. You're not to imagine at this time some kind of squalid dungeon or anything like that. But he is under house arrest, living at his own expense, and he is able to receive visitors during this time. He's able to receive support from outside and able to teach and to preach within the confines of his home, um, or not home per se, but where he is under house arrest and uh, to just freely teach the kingdom of God and write letters to churches and so on. So Epaphras comes from the city of Colossae to Paul and gives a report on what is going on in this church that 
Paul did not know personally. Um, he did not plant the church, hadn't met them yet or anything like that. And Epaphras has so many good things to say about the church in Colossae. And the, the letter that Paul ends up writing to them is a very warm letter. But Epaphras also has a report of some teaching, false teaching that was beginning to infiltrate the church and to spread the lie to the people that they don't have in Christ all that they need. Rather, they needed to go to outside resources and take outside avenues and add to Christ various disciplines and teachings and experiences in order to become full and complete Christians. And so Paul writes to correct that lie. One of the hardest things for you and me to believe when we have all that we need is that what we have is all we need. One of the hardest things to believe when you have all you need is that what you have is all you need. Put Marshall and Joel, my five and four-year-old little boys, in a toy store and tell them that the toys that they have at home are all the toys that they need. You will have a very hard time convincing them of that very real truth. You should see the evidence in their room. They have all that they need. Put me in a bookstore of first edition historical works and tell me that you already have all you need in your library. I mean, first edition people, I mean, put Adam and Eve in paradise. And how hard is it for the enemy of their souls? How hard is it for him to convince them that they don't have all that they need? The fact is, we even have trouble believing that we have all we need when God says not only do we have all we need, but we have all. When God says that you have all, and you try to add to all, supplementing with religious experiences and traditions and disciplines and novel teachings here and there, and you attempt to improve on all, you don't have more. You have less. You're not better off then. You're worse. So the serpent came to Adam and Eve and said, you don't have enough. You need the fruit of that one single tree and then you will have enough. But until you have that, God is ripping you off. The tree is the key. You just take and you eat that fruit and the whole world will open up to you. The Godhead will open up to you. And so Adam and Eve chose to believe the lie of the serpent rather than their own creator. They took of that fruit and they ate. And rather than the world opening up to them, the world closed to them, as did their hearts to one another and to God. And not only are you and I born with the guilt of that sin, we are born believing that lie. We are born with that deception operating in our hearts. 
that we don't have enough. That we don't have what we need in God. And when I say that we have all, you know, I pray that you know, I'm speaking of Christ. Because Christ is all. If you have Christ, not only do you have all that you need, but you cannot have more. The Bible in the book of Proverbs says this about you and me. It says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied. Sheol and Abaddon being words for the grave and death. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. I mean, the, the Solomon is holding up these two things as very comparable as far as not being satisfied. The grave and the eyes of man. Neither one are, when I was a kid, there was this really silly little comeback, and I don't know if it was a thing in the United States or not. I should ask somebody, I should ask Cherie to see if this was universal, but if somebody gave you grief or insulted you about something, you could say, excuse me for living, but the grave's all full. Is this, no, okay, I'm getting a bunch of head shakes. Okay, you're probably thinking, sounds dumb. It is, I mean, it is really dumb. It's a really dumb statement. Because the grave never says, that's enough. The grave never says, I'm just, I'm full, I can't take anymore. As though death has just had enough. But death, in fact, we know, always demands its next victim. And so it is with the eyes of man. Not that we are demanding our next victim. But we are never satisfied. We, we never say, okay, that's enough, I can't take anymore. We rarely believe, even when we have all we need, that what we have is, in fact, all that we need. God said to Adam and Eve, this is enough. All that you have in me is enough for you. And they did not believe Him. And so it is with Christians, time and time again, that we struggle to believe that in Christ, we have all that we need. God says, He is all. And we struggle to believe that. But again, it's true. If you add more to Him, you don't have more. You have, in fact, less. If you try to improve on Him, insisting on rules and practices and habits of life and observances and teachings and ecstatic experiences that the Bible doesn't require, you're not going to be better off. You're going to be worse off. Christ plus something else doesn't make you richer. It makes you poorer. Adding to Christ takes away. More than Christ is not more. It's less because Christ is all. Christ is all. So what did this mean in the Colossian context? I want you to help to under, uh, you to understand this letter and the setting of it and why Paul says what he does. Um, in chapter 2 in particular, Paul takes this ongoing issue in the church head on. Um, first of all, in chapter 1, he, well, chapter 1 is so rich. It's going to take us a little while to get through chapter 1 when we get there because it's, just, it's so rich, it's so loaded, it's incredible. And we're going to read it in a little bit. But he's really, he's really laying the foundation, showing us that Christ is all so that when he takes on the issue of the false teachings in chapter 2, 
we can, we get it. We can see how foolish it is to swallow these lies, whether they are coming from, you know, a religious source or from just a secular worldly source. Um, and then in chapter three, what Paul is going to do is work out the, the implications, the applications to our lives of Christ being all and how we can become what God intends, how we can become who we are in Christ, grow and, and so on. So within the community of Colossae, it seems like there was this, this syncretistic religious movement that blended together elements of Christianity, Old Testament Judaism, with a heavy dose of mysticism. And the purveyors of this syncretism had started to worm their way into the church body and spread this deadly poison which was sold as adding to Christ in order to enhance their spirituality. So they said that unless the the Colossian Christ followers got with the old program by abiding um, according to Jewish laws, and unless they got with the new program of these ecstatic experiences, they would be stunted Christians. Their growth would only go so far and they would be incomplete. But if they followed their program the program of the false teaching, then they would reach fullness. They'd be complete Christians. In Colossians 2, if you would look down there, verses 6 to 10, Colossians says things like this to counter that. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. I don't know how many of you realize this, but we have had our fair share of run-ins with false teachers and their sheep at Ald's Chapel. And one of these encounters was uh, just several days ago. There is a group in our larger commu- community that's part of a movement called Hebrew Roots. And it's something that you need to be aware of and warned about because their their effect has gone further than I would have thought that it could succeed to go. These people will insist that we are not justified by the works of the law, and to that we say a hearty amen. That's true. But they also say that the works of the law are necessary not for our justification, but for our sanctification. That is, for our holiness, for our growth and advancement in the Christian life. And the works of the law that I'm talking about are the Old Testament works of the law. For example, they insist that the celebration of Passover is necessary. Now, let's just think about this for a moment. 
what was Passover for? It was for the, the people of God in the old era to celebrate every year so that they could recall and give to God thanks for their redemption out of slavery in Egypt. But not only to recall God's great redemption in the past, but also to look forward to the day when God's people would receive the ultimate exodus, the ultimate redemption through the work of God's Christ. And so the Passover was a shadow of things to come. But what was to come has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a Hebrew Roots follower tried to convince Ryan the other day, about a week and a half ago or so, that it's required to celebrate Passover. And Ryan said, we do celebrate Passover in the Lord's Supper as we commemorate what Christ has done in His sacrifice for us because He is the true Passover Lamb. It's by His sacrifice, by the shedding of His blood, by His death that we are freed from sin and death and the grave, the ultimate enslavement. We have the ultimate freedom from the ultimate enslavement. So the the old was the shadow, but Christ is the substance. So look down at chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, another way that this is applicable to our lives and one way that we can really fall into the trap of that false teaching thinking is Let me put it like this. Do you have any habit that is beyond what the Bible requires of you that you are convinced is valuable? You probably do. And and that is perfectly fine. It could be a reading habit. It could be a diet habit. It could be a particular devotion, discipline, or some service that is helpful for your own growth, which you do in Christ's name. But you have to be careful because in your mind, do others fall short if they're not following suit? Are others perhaps less godly or less transformed because they don't share your particular view in this matter, your experience or the practice of it? And I think that's very common in the church today. We go beyond what the Bible requires of us. Now, when I say When I say that Christ is all, I don't mean that there is no growth for us. And, you know, Christ is all and we have Christ, so that's it. And I I don't want you to also, of course, fall into thinking that, okay, I convert to Jesus and then I'm just good. I don't, I can just, you know, don't have to exercise any kind of discipline in this Christian life. I'm just good to go. This is not saying that there isn't growing to do. There is growing, there's improvement, there's advancement, there's progression to make. But it's like someone having the the richest possible gold mine in their own backyard. That person can't say that they don't have all that they need, that they don't have enough when it comes to wealth, right? Obviously they do, but in order to access that, they have to dig in. They have to dig in, and the further they dig in, the more profit they are going to realize from 
this resource that is theirs. And we have Christ, who is no gold mine, in the sense that you know any gold mine is going to have limits to it. He's no gold mine, but rather the Bible says, in Him are hidden, this is from Colossians chapter 2, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So of course there is growing to do, but what it means is you have Christ, you go deeper into Christ, just as we sang a little bit ago. I want to know you, then know you more. More. More of Christ. As we often say, you have the Gospel, but the Gospel is not simply required only for your justification, your conversion, your coming to Christ at the first but it's for all of your Christian life, so you don't go beyond it. You go deeper down into it. So Paul put it this way in Colossians 2, and I've already read these verses. He said, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. And everything that would add to Christ that would improve upon him, Paul calls philosophy an empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. In in verses uh, 22 and 23, he says, it's according to human precepts and teachings, self-made religion, all of it. It's not according to Christ. How do we grow? The whole body. This, this This is our aim. We want to grow. We want to mature in Christ. We want to advance. But the way that we grow is by together being nourished in Christ. And the Bible says then, when we, when we hold fast to Christ, the body clinging to the head, we grow with a growth that is from God. That's our aim. That's what we want. We want to grow with a growth that is from God. Because you can, you can make changes. You can drop the bad habits. You can add new ones. So on and so forth. By your own effort, doing your own thing. Absorbing the philosophies, the pop psychology of the world. All of it. You can, you can uh, become more moral and noble and, and all of that. But what we want as the people of Christ is to grow with the growth that is from God. And it comes from clinging to Christ. And so this is the purpose of Colossians, to urge us relentlessly to Christ, together. Urge us relentlessly together to Christ. It's Christ alone always. The truth for all of life. The Lord of all things. The head of this family and the head of every household. It's Christ high and Christ lifted up because Christ is all. So as we close, um, before we read Colossians together, what I want to do with just the remaining couple minutes, I want to um, try to put together a purpose statement for the letter that we can have in mind over the, the coming months to help us to better understand what this letter is about. I, I'm hoping that it will be not only concise, but also kind of comprehensive for the book. So I'm drawing this. If you would turn your, your attention to chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 
This is where we're going to draw our purpose statement from. Colossians 2, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Now this, in Colossians, like Ephesians, uh, and some of Romans too, this is where Paul piles phrase on phrase on phrase in these last couple of verses remaining to boggle the mind with the wonders of Jesus. So, okay. He wants our hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So let's try to boil that down to a concise but comprehensive purpose statement. Here it is. Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians in order that we might reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we are beyond the reach of all deception. Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians in order that we might reach knowing Christ together with such full conviction that we are beyond the reach of all deception. And so the content of this letter to uh, accomplish that purpose is that we have this relentlessly focused exaltation of Christ. It's constant. Christ as He is and Christ in all of life. And so that's what we're going to uh, try to achieve in Colossians. Just constantly, relentlessly focused on the glory of Christ, the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus as He is. Jesus in every realm of our lives together. So our prayer is that we would, from that focus upon Christ, draw out all the riches that God enables us to so that nothing in the world can deceive us and we hold fast to Jesus and grow with the growth that is from God. Let's back up to Colossians chapter 1. We'll read this letter together. A couple of things that you could watch for are this language of all, full, um, fullness, completion, all, all of that all, full language. Watch for that because there's just a, such a concentration of that language in here. And um, yeah, I think that, that will be a good guide for you as we go. Okay, hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you 
as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, 
rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading and the preaching of your word. 
may it get planted in our hearts. And I pray, Father, that it would truly make that deep impact that we may grow with the growth that is from God. Not from us, not from human precepts and traditions and teachings, self-made religion and all of that. But I pray that we would grow with the growth that is from God. May all of us, Father, knit together in love, seek Christ and Christ alone. In his name we pray and for his sake. Amen.